Now, you know that um, there are three blocks regarding our theme, um, not just the, the theme for this year, but really the theme that reflects our DNA as a church, that we believe that through the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit, we are called in Christ and through him to love God, to grow in loving God. And then we are called to build others towards what? To love God. And then we are called to serve. It's actually another way of putting discipleship, what it looks like. So if you ask us in this church, what, you always talk about Christ-like disciples. Well, what do you actually mean? I think as we scan through the scriptures, we summarize it in those three words. Love, build, serve. Love God, build others, serve the city. So in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what it means to love God. What, what are we really talking about? And then last week, we talked about what it means to build others up in the Lord. This morning, and the final one of the three, we're looking at serve. What it means to actually serve. And then we go to Jeremiah. So I'll pray, and then we'll look at God's word together. Shall we pray? Take a moment and open up your heart to the Lord. Our Father, we come before you this day. Uh, we thank you for the living word, your word. And we pray that you, by your spirit, will cause us to be alert, to hear you speak to us through your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now God has a plan. God says he has a plan. Isn't that amazing? That the God that we serve says that he has a plan. And you know what he does? He writes a letter. God writes a letter. He writes the letter through, through his prophet, Jeremiah, to send to those of his people who have been removed from, if you like, the presence of the Lord. At least that's the way they saw it because Jerusalem in Judea is the place where the temple is. And the temple represents God dwelling amongst them. And then they have been removed because they sinned against God, they rebelled against him, and they were removed. And they were removed by an ancient king called Nebuchadnezzar. He ruled over the city nation called Babylon. So they removed them and took them. And God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says that, let me write to my people. So he takes a pen, maybe not like our pen, but he takes something, and then he writes it. And then he writes to them. And at the heart of what he writes to them is in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is God writing this thing. Now, what does he actually mean? I know we all love to quote this verse, isn't it? For I know the plans that I have for you, I get it. But for a moment, let's all assume we don't even know what God is talking about. 
And let's try to listen to him at this point from his word. What does he really mean? I have a plan for your welfare to give my people a hope and to give them a future. So he's going to answer that, what that looks like. But for now, he wants us to understand what is going on. So if you look at verse 1 to verse 4, God wants them to know that it is he, God, who sent them out into exile. Exile is you've been removed from your home place to another place, and you have become something like the resident alien. Uh, in Chi, they will say, why you are a resident alien. When you are applying for an American visa and then you see all those categories, resident alien. The first time I saw it, I thought, <laughs> I thought aliens were from space. Well, anyway, so when you are exiled, you live there, but you really don't come from there. And so he tells them that I did it. I, God, took you from the land and took you outside of it. Yes, verse 1 says that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took you out. But you would realize that the Lord will remind them that actually, ultimately, verse 4, I took you out. When Nebuchadnezzar was doing it, I was doing it. I was at work. I have judged you because of your disobedience. And then I have scattered you among the nations. And guess what? I did that because I have a plan for you. I have a plan for my people. So all along, God is keeping his mind on something, the promises he made to Abraham. But let's not go there for now. I have a plan. That is why I acted in this way. In the meantime, before I tell you the plan, I want you to understand this. Even though you are not in Judea and you are not in Jerusalem, you are in Babylon, I want you to do this. I still want you to obey me. I still want you to focus your life on me. So look at verse 5 to verse 7. Verse 5 to verse 7, he's telling them, I want you to live life, normal life, in Babylon, as you would in Jerusalem. Just live life to the full. Do whatever they do in Babylon. Well, without sinning against God, but let's not go there. But just live life economically, educationally, whatever you do, just live your life there. Let me read for you verse 5 and verse 6. He tells them, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So even though you'll be in Babylon, I want you to realize this. When you have the opportunity, build houses, buy houses, buy a piece of land, farm there, make some produce, contribute to your life, contribute to the economic activities in Babylon. Just live. Just live. But there is another aspect that I want you to understand. And that is in verse 7. I want you to seek the welfare of Babylon. And then if you understand what God is saying, you will say to God, you've got to be joking. Babylon has just come into Jerusalem and ransacked us. It is not our home. The temple isn't there. We can't do proper worship. 
And you want us to do what? To seek the welfare of Babylon. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So you should multiply in exile. Don't go there and decrease in number. Go there and multiply. Immediately you hear echoes of Genesis, isn't it? Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> so go there and multiply. And live your life and just enjoy it. And then keep in mind that you intercede for Babylon. You pray for Babylon. You seek its welfare, its prosperity. Because when the city is doing well, you will do well. Now, that immediately sounds like selfish. You are going to pray for the city. And the reason you are praying for the city that it will do well for its welfare is that God said that when Accra is, just to use Accra as an example, is prospering, then we will all prosper, isn't it? Uh -uh. Just not spiritualize this for now. If Accra is doing well and the government is paying well, we are all working, isn't it? We will all be paid well. He's saying something more than that. It doesn't exclude that. But he says something more than that. And we will see why in the blessing of the nations is the blessing of God's people. And in fact, it's a cycle. The nations are blessed. The city is blessed because his people are seeking its welfare and praying and interceding for it. Yet as it flourishes, so do they flourish. So God has scattered the people of God among the nations or in the city of Babylon that as they live their everyday life and as they intercede for the city, God will bring blessing on the city itself. And this blessing is the blessing that he brings on his people. What is he talking about? Pray for the city and seek its welfare that this city will come under God's blessing. Ultimately, they will come also under God's rule and blessing. I pray for the city. There is no way a person experiences God's blessing without actually coming under God's rule and blessing. And as this city comes under God's rule and blessing and experiences the blessings that are in God and from God, so is the church. Because then the church is fulfilling its purpose. That is the ultimate blessing of the church. That as they intercede and they are blessed, uh, that is, we want to see the nations also blessed. Now, I'm going ahead of myself, but through the people of God interceding, the city is blessed. When you hear this, you have to think of Genesis 12. Genesis 12's promise is that in you, Abraham, will all the nations, the families of the earth be blessed. How that is going to happen, we don't know. But over here, we see that part of God's plan is that his people will go into exile. Yes, because of their rebellion. But God sovereignly uses that, works in that. God works in that. And his people are removed. They are removed from Accra and let's say they go into Bagualada in Abuja. No, don't think Abuja is Babylon. It's just as an example to show you a change in geographical location. Maybe they remove from Abuja to Accra. Let's put it that way so that glory will be at peace. <laughs> but that is Genesis' blessing. However it's going to happen, through 
Abraham and fulfilling that in Abraham's descendants, the nations are going to be blessed. And you all, the families of the earth, will be blessed. The nations will flourish because the people of God are now in their midst. And they are going to intercede for it. Intercede for the nation. So let's summarize. Why is God scattering his people among the nations? Because God has a plan. And the plan is to bless his people. I have a plan for you. It is to give you a hope and a future. It is to secure you. It is a good plan. It is the ultimate plan. The reason I scattered you in the first place is that I want my people themselves to be blessed. And somehow God has tied in their own blessing with the blessing of the people and as they bless them and so on and so forth. It's like a kind of a cycle. Now, when all that was happening, there were false prophets. False prophets came up and you know what they were saying? What they were saying to peop the people is that, look, logically, how can God take you into exile? Okay, now you've gone into exile, but we have heard God. That says the Lord. In two years' time, the exile is going to end. In two years' time, you'll be back. You'll be back into Jerusalem. And then God says, don't listen to them. They are not speaking from me. They are lying to you. Why are they lying to you? In verse 10, the exile is going to take 70 years. Not two years. I'm going to keep you in this land because it is going to, and it's going to take you 70 years. If you were 10 years when you were moved from exile, by the time it finishes, you're going to be 80. If you were 20 years, you're going to be 90, right? I almost got it wrong. You're going to be 90. If you are 40, you probably will be dead. By the time the exile... It's finished. Why 70 years? Because I have a plan for you. Keep that in mind, verse 11. Because I have a plan for you. This is a bad idea. God says it's, a, it's the best idea. It's the ultimate idea. His people have scattered amongst the nations because I have a plan for them. And why the 70 years? I don't know. You're seven, perfection. I, I don't know. Let's not go into that. But the point is that it is God who set the time. At a set time, the exile will finish and you will come back. He set the time for them. He set the time for the exile whilst his people are out. And then he tells them that, you know, this is the plan. Now the plan is unfolding. Whilst you are in exile, I will visit you afterwards. When the whole thing is ended, when my purposes for you in exile is finished, I'll visit you. And then I will fulfill to you all my promises. And you know what these promises are. It is the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land. And I will give you back the land. You will return to the land. And then he tells them, because I know the plans that I have for you. You don't. You think you do. You're trying to unravel why God will cause Nebuchadnezzar to take us from exile and scatter us among Babylonians. Babylonians who don't serve God, they are pagans. And even they are trying to make us like pagans. They, they move all our priests there. They move our elites there. Uh, they're going to change their names. You remember the Daniel story? Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They try to change their names, right? So that they will all sort of get into the culture, do what Babylonians. Why would God do such a thing? 
Is he not risking the, 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 the life and the worship and the allegiance of his people towards him? God says, no. If I left it with you alone, you'll be destroyed because you keep sinning. But in that, I have a plan. My plan is to give my people a hope and a future. To give them a fellowship with me, verse 12. They will call upon me. They will pray to me. I will hear them. They will seek me. They will find me. The idea of now God is in their presence. There is fellowship. We don't even have to pray. And sometimes you know how prayer feels. It feels like you pray. It hit the ceiling and then it just returns to you. This will not be like that. You pray and God will hear. All these things he has been doing in preparing his people's hearts whilst they were away from the land. Whilst they were struggling, at least in their minds, somewhere in the land. I will restore you, he says, verse 14, and gather you to my place. From the place that I have driven you, I will gather you back. I will bring you back. You will be in Jerusalem again. What is God's plan? Now, this may sound repetition, but there is a reason for it. What is God's plan for his people? Don't think about the church now. Don't think about you for a moment. Think about Israel. Imagine them. Listen to the movie. It's a true movie, true story that is unfolding. His plan, God's plan is this. He is going to remove his people from the land. He will scatter them. And then through the presence of his people among the nations, in the city of Babylon and beyond, as his people perform their priestly duties to, to pray and to sort of intercede as a priestly, when you say priest, somebody who stands between God and other people, isn't it? Well, we know that pastors are not priests as such. Even though when I go to some places, people say, oh, you are a priest. I know what they are saying. All Christians are priests. The reason is that somehow they stand between God and people in intercession, especially people who do not know him yet, and they plead, they plead before the Lord for them. They say, Lord, look to the cross, and for the sake of the cross, just as you brought us from there, please bring them from there. Please their welfare, please their welfare. So as the people are among the nations and they are doing this, in God's grand plan, he is actually ultimately blessing his own people through that. Pray for the nations. And what are you praying for? That they will come under God's rule. That they themselves will come and dwell under his rule and experience his blessing. Peter, in the New Testament, describes the church as exiles. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. We are also not at home yet. So another way of thinking about the exile is to think of them as people who are not home yet. Now, when somebody is a foreigner in another nation, they see themselves as we are visiting. We are expatriates. Our home is that place. We get it. The place where you own your passport, isn't it? So if you go to, let's say, Dubai, you are a visitor. You are there for a moment. But your real home. And so when somebody asks you on your flight back, where are you going? I am going home. Well, the Lord wants 
the church, Peter, from Peter, the, the church to understand that none of us is home yet. You may be Ghanaian, you may be American, you may be Zambian, you may be Nigerian, you may be from Papua New Guinea. And that is where the Lord chose to scatter his people. But none of us is home yet. The grand plan of God is that he will do something for us, his people, among the nations. But we are not home yet. We're not home yet. The Lord has a plan that he is fulfilling until one day the Lord appears, the Lord Jesus appears, and we are all home. Now, let me talk a little bit about this plan of God and how it is fulfilled. How should we see it today? Now, the plan of God is in um, John chapter 1 and verse 14, um, and then chapter 10 and verse 10. John chapter 1, verse 14. What does he say? He says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Somehow it's as if the Lord Jesus went out from the heavenlies. And then he was also, if you like, if you like, he, he was also in exile. <laughs> he went out, Exodus. He went out from among them. And then he dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 10.10, 10. why did he dwell amongst us? What is God's plan here? As Christ dwelled, came and dwelled amongst us, as it were, from the home of his glory, and dwelled here in a broken, sinful world. The thief comes only, John chapter 10, verse 10, to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Whatever the purpose of God is, and we can go into details and talk about it here and there, you can look at it in one person, the Lord Jesus when the Lord Jesus came and appeared and dwelt among us in an alien world, if you like. Not so alien because he created it. But for the first time for God to dwell as a human being amongst us. You know why? You know what the plan of God was? It was that his people will experience life and experience it abundantly. How did that happen? It only happened because on Jesus was the judgment of God poured. The judgment of God was poured on Jesus like the judgment of God was poured on the Israelites and they were exiled. The judgment that we all deserve, in fact, they also deserve, was poured on Jesus. But in his coming and taking on the judgment was life, life abundantly to his people to those who know him and to those who are being called from among the nations. And so the reason God allows God's people to be out there is that God's purposes for his people and for the nations will unfold. How will that be visible? How will that be seen? You go back to verse 7 of the passage we have read. Let me read it for you. Verse 7. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. How would this plan be so visible in God's people? Because they believe God has a plan. Because they believe that in this world and in exile, God is unfolding his plan for his church and for the nations. And through the church for the nations, you know what they do? Those of them who are waiting for the 70 years to be over in exile in Babylon, they will live their normal life among the people. They will live the extinctive life. They will just serve. They will be for the Lord. We see it in Daniel and his friends as they live faithfully. Before Nebuchadnezzar, they were public servants. They were teachers. They were cooks. They were doctors. They were artisans. But because they understand that in exile, God is unfolding his plan, his ultimate plan for his people to display his glory, that through his people, the nations will see and the nations will be brought under God's rule and blessing and the church itself will flourish as the nations troop in and they come. They understand that. And so while they are waiting for the exiles to be over, they don't fold their arms and sit unconcerned. If they are lawyers, they do it as unto the Lord. Why? In obedience to him. That is how he says we should wait. He says we should love this place, live there, care for it, have gardens, multiply, not decrease. Just live life and be fruitful here whilst we wait. As we wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that through his death, God is unfolding his plan. He is restoring people. He's bringing people out from among Babylon, from among the world, those who don't know him, to come and taste the blessings, the blessing of his people. And as the lost turn and come under God's rule through Christ by the power of the Spirit, the church is blessed. That's why the church rejoices. The church flourishes in that way. The church is never called to sit alone in their corner and enjoy and fold their arms. No, we're not called that way. We believe God is doing something in this world. It is his ultimate plan. We don't know it completely. He knows it. He is fulfilling it. And therefore now he's called us to just serve and be ourselves. Wherever he has put us, just live what it means to be God's people where God has placed you. And so what is the whole point? The whole point is this. Wherever the Lord has placed any of you, brothers and sisters, for you to be able to serve there joyfully and faithfully, you've got to understand this grand plan of God that he is fulfilling through Christ. He's sweeping across this world and our city to let the nation see who he is and what he is doing. It is in that blessing that the church flourishes. It is in the trooping in and the coming of the lost that the church flourishes. So, let me finish off. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, of the dispersion, scattering, in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, in Bithynia. And this scattering, verse 2, is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 
in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. Chapter 2, verse 9 to 12. But you, though you are in the world, though you are not home yet in the new creation, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, intercession, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, people who are passing through, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Even though you are in exile, keep your conduct among them. Serve them, love them, sacrifice for them as Christ himself did. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Have you seen God's plan? Maybe I haven't explained it well, but the little that you have seen, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that the Lord has a plan even in the scattering of his people? So you realize that Jeremiah 29 verse 11 goes beyond you and your little problem. God cares about your small problem. But God has a big agenda. And so let us rise knowing that he has a plan and he's unfolding it. And guess what? We are included in it. Let us rise and get into the city. Get into where he has placed us in the course of the week as he scatters us. To keep this in mind and just be faithful to him where he has put us. Just be faithful to him. Just honor him for his sake, for the joy of the unfolding of his plan's sake. Serve the city for his name's sake. Let's pray. Our Father, the the letter that you wrote to the exile, we must admit, is staggering. We can spend eternity trying to look into it and drink from it and we'll never finish. But we pray that every day you will unfold your, your plans in Jesus. This plan that you know, you know the plans you have for us. It is in Jesus. It is not evil because it is in Jesus. It is to prosper us. It's not to harm us because of the Lord Jesus, to give us a hope, a hope of his return and our return home, and to give us a future. We have a future. And in the light of that plan, may we be obedient wherever you have placed us, whichever career you have given us, for those who are married and those who are single, whichever situation we find ourselves now whilst we wait for your set time, or whilst we wait for you to call us home, Father, I pray that we'll be faithful. God, the Holy Spirit, will endow us with the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be faithful. We will serve there. We will work as not working for our bosses. We will work as working for God, that his plan is being unfolded in our little corner. There, too, he's displaying before the nations his glory in and through us. 
thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.